Hey everybody, and welcome to Conversations with Healthcare Heroes. This is part two of our conversation with Liza Lounsbury. Now, Liza, as you remember from part one, is a registered nurse with a master's degree in nursing. She has worked in the intensive care units at multiple hospitals all over South Carolina as an outpatient nurse in the South Carolina Department of Mental Health. And she currently serves in a leadership role overseeing a fully integrated team of healthcare workers and support staff that cater to the lower income elderly population in South Carolina. I, I thought this interview again was fascinating. Part two, we dive more into her experience in the mental health world and just the challenges that's presenting to the entire society, you know, really nationwide. But again, she saw this up close and personal on a daily basis and found it very interesting. So hope you enjoy part two of our conversation. As always, the views expressed in this program are opinions of the host and the guest. They are not meant to serve as medical advice in any way, shape or form. Individuals seeking medical advice and guidance and expertise for questions, concerns relating to their own personal health should always consult a physician. Without further ado, here's part two of our conversation with Liza Lounsbury. well-educated, well-trained, that nothing oh, yeah. happens Healthcare in a hospital without crumble. those people. Yeah, right, it, exactly. It does not exist. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Think, I'm telling they, you, and, we, <laughs> and we've learned over the years how to embrace that power in a mm. better way. So for a long, 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 long time, we were undervalued and underappreciated. I'm talking like hundreds of years. Sure. Um, and then once, it, and it took, it honestly took a physician to take notice and allow the nurses to become empowered. And I can't remember who it was now. Um, but once that started, it was like wildfire. It caught on. Facilities wanted to know what, the, how this one was doing so well. Um, and it all comes down to what I was explaining. Because, mm -hmm. for example, there's an award you can get. It's called Magnet. Um, and this award is particular and solely related to your nurses. And as a facility, if you find a hospital that's a magnet facility, you have no worries. And the reason That's they great. call it magnet is because they become a magnet for the mm. most highly trained, highly um, successful nursing staff. And yeah. so and USC is an example. Um, and so to get a job there is really tough. Right. So you've got to be the cream of the crop. And that, yeah. that is just a, a high performing facility. Um, but I was thinking of another thing that nurses did. Um, and I mean, these, these, what could seem small save lives. So like in the, when I was doing outpatient mental health, um, a peer of mine who was the guru for the adult mentally ill with what we call SMI, severe persistent mental illness, okay, um, schizophrenia, bipolar one. These are our patients that are on monthly injections, um, antipsychotics, uh, to help curb their hallucinations, whether they're mm -hmm. auditory, visual, these people are sick. They're so sick, they're, they, they, they can't work. Um, they require support, um, lots of compassion from the community. Well, when COVID hit, and I don't want to talk about COVID, but I remember <laughs> sure. the psychiatrists and the nurses, we were all like, what's going to happen? Right. Because those patients came to us for their injections. Some were on every two weeks, some were once a month. Well, the state had declared a state of emergency or was closing the office. So we were going to go down to bare minimum staff and the patients, due to the nature of their illness, they're terrified. 
So the likelihood of them showing up for their injection is slim to none. I'll never forget Pam, one of the smartest nurses I've ever worked with. She said, we're going to them. And I was like, how are we doing this? (laughs) Y'all bought an RV. And I went, oh my God. And don't you know it? Because a lot of the the patients reside in boarding homes. The boarding homes had already closed. The doors were locked. Staff wouldn't let anybody in or out. And we're like, that's not a good idea. Yeah, that could be, wow, that could go so bad. Well, but if COVID came, they were afraid everyone would die. So they're like, and understandably so, hallucinating than dead. Yeah. So next thing you know, here comes Pam talking to the boarding homes, give me a chance. So then, um, because I had done the work with the Ebola unit MUSC, I was then tasked with teaching Pam how to don and doff PPE, which is what you, the procedure right. for putting on and taking off personal protective equipment. This is before we knew what COVID was, sure. this is before a vaccine was out. So I remember she and I in the um, lunchroom <laughs> that day, just <laughs> going over stuff, going over sheets that I'd printed from the CDC, practicing, yeah. no, don't forget to wash your hands. Um, and she did that. For like six months, I wouldn't say even a year. So were you a part of that unit? That you, injection go, clinic. Yeah. So did you were you there on site for those? Yeah. Well, so, so she many, was on the van. So she did all that on or the RV. One yeah. of the um one of the guys or the leader for like our maintenance department became her driver. Okay. Also was her bouncer, um, her, yeah. her security guard. And sure. then she would go out and she'd prep everything the day before. She'd put it all organized in a system. She had their names wow. listed. She'd call and make appointments with the boarding home. But the cool part about that is everyone else got out of her way. There was none mm. of this, wait a minute, how are we going to pay yeah. for that? Do we need yeah. this for this? Blah, 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 blah. They were like, we haven't done this before. This isn't how we do things. <laughs> right. They're like, she's smart. She's educated. Yeah. She knows what she's doing. And we don't have another choice. Let's do how it. How many locations were that, that that she was having to go to for that? Like six. Uh, I was going to say 16. So you're talking like multiple to to do, if it's weekly injections, you're doing a bunch of stops every day. Every was Tuesday it? and Thursday was injection okay. clinic. Okay. So, and then it got to the point where I think we did have to add a third day just because they weren't coming to us. She was going to them. Did they wanted um, you to do other things like, uh, I don't know, wellness check is the right term, but non-injections type of well, yeah, appointments. Well, we do that anyway in mental health. So you're, that's Sometimes a part of it the as only well. provider they've seen. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Then we're able to report back to the boarding home. Hey, so-and-so is doing fine, but I've noticed he's got this rash and it's gotten worse. That needs to be seen. So we yeah. would, you know, so-and-so is complaining of a toothache. When I looked in his mouth, he's got an abscess. He needs surgery. Right. So things like that would would definitely happen. So we were catching things left and right. Um, but Pam, that's, that's and so I nominated Pam for an award, um, yeah. which is the, uh, oh gosh, what's it called? The Palmetto Gold, um, okay. which is the South Carolina Nurses Excellence Award. Um, and I was so frustrated because they did not, they weren't allowing nomination. Oh, no, excuse me. Let me take that back because of COVID that next year, they said, since we can't have an in-person ceremony uh-huh. and announce the winners, um, everyone's a winner. And honestly, <laughs> it's like, okay. yeah. You're so, like, yeah. <laughs> and now I'm talking about it. I'm thinking I need to rewrite that. I need to retry yeah. because even yeah. though it hadn't happened in the past, she could still win. 
Sure. Um, but in order to do that, you have to show outcomes. You have to so show, you know, improvement. You have to prove with data. So it's um, but she she would deserve it. Now she's almost done with graduate school becoming a mental health nurse practitioner. Okay. Wow. So she can prescribe and what, treat that's and diagnose. Yeah. Yeah. What cool experience though. And so I want to, I want to say the mental health thing, but real quick, you, you mentioned your experience with, an, with Ebola mm. and that that model of the PPE and the mobile thing came from your experience with, was it here stateside? Were you? Yes. So tell um, me about that. So the Medical University of South Carolina, do you remember when Ebola was a thing? Do you remember when? Well, the risk I remember of it a couple of years United ago. States? I remember a couple of years ago, somebody came back from Africa with it in Atlanta and it was a big deal. I believe he, I believe he, but there were, there were, there were multiple people showing up in, in major cities with it. Is that what you're talking about? It was about four or five years ago or my, my, it would have been wrong. 2014. We're talking almost 10 yeah. years ago now. Okay. So, All right. Um, yeah. I think, I think that's right. 14, 2015. So yeah, it was 2014. So the yep. Medical University of South Carolina, so at the time, Emory, uh, which is a hospital in Atlanta, right. was the only infectious disease facility that was equipped to care for someone if they came to the United States with that diagnosis. And so MUSC being the level one trauma academic medical center, top of the top, they're like, mm -mm, we're getting our own. So um, they said, you know, we have a responsibility to our community. We have a responsibility to our country. And mm. so uh, Nat, one of our directors of the critical care units, there were seven adult critical care units in MUSC. She said um, the two medical ICU managers, mine, I managed the medical surgical ICU and Janet managed the medical ICU. She's like, we're gonna all work together and we're gonna get this thing built. My portion in that was more along the lines of looking at staffing models and figuring out training. Um, and I was the youngest in the group, so I learned a lot from that experience. Uh, but that was fascinating. So we had to build a unit, and by we, I mean like a collective group, build a unit, develop protocols, recruit people. Um, the hospital took a stance like this is not going to be mandatory because people are going to be volunteering to lose their life. Um, in order to care uh, for these people. Yeah. We had to make sure that uh, as a medical team, we needed a pulmonologist because we knew that with Ebola, they're going to have to be intubated on the ventilator. Right. We needed a respiratory therapist. We needed at least two ICU nurses at all times so that if one has to step out, the other one can step in. Um, so trips were made to Emory. Uh, that unit was investigated. Plans were drawn. Contractors were brought in. Then the area that was chosen um, was downstairs in a place that was easily um, accessible. The, the shifts were created, the education was done, and then the team was trained. So we had literally just finished training. Everyone had gotten their equipment, which they kept at home, so that if we deployed the Ebola mm -hmm. team or the protocol, they stopped what they were doing, grabbed their stuff, and came in. Um, and if they were an existing staff, then they would be considered like, I think they would be team B. So um, about how many people are we talking on this on this team? I think there were 18. Oh wow, right okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, 18 out of hundreds of that that were available. Yeah, yeah. And that that number might be inflated. Maybe 14. I can't I can't remember now, but um long story short, everything got settled 
And you got to think when you pull these people out of staffing, then you got to replace them. Right. Because I just said, are into patient ratios are one to one to in my unit we had two to one because we had that and they're probably by definition they're probably among the best and the most fearless right right so they're so, not easily replaced on the units that they're <laughs> currently working <laughs> no but the, yeah. thing, the support they had from their fear their peers was incredible because their peers were kind of like well if you're going to do that i'll be glad to pick up your shift <laughs> yeah that, that makes sense <laughs> you're gonna hope so right <laughs> yes and so um we got a phone call that there, that someone was matching the criteria of our screening, and we had to enact the protocol. You want to talk was, about? Yeah, it was a hard stop like moment there. Whole life just flashes in front of your. Do you eyes. remember where you Ever. were when that happened? I mean, is that? Like, yeah, were you, you were in the middle. Oh yeah, of, it's like nine eleven. Yeah, you remember exactly what was happening. I, exactly what I was doing, what I was yeah. wearing, where I was, yeah. and I just remember texting my husband. We got the call. And at the time, you know, we didn't have children yet. Right. Um, so I was, it was kind of a no-brainer that I would volunteer to help with that. But uh, so the staffing plan was put in place. The first team came in. The patient had not arrived yet. They were on their way. Um, and I'm trying to remember if the patient made it through decontamination or not. So decontamination is where like this procedure occurs, even if you're like exposed to an oil spill or a gas um, in the community, we have to put you through decontamination. And there's a whole thing for that. I can't remember if they went through that or not, but then they announced they were from the Post and Courier. Okay. So the newspaper was investigating how prepared their local hospital was. In the oh, <laughs> no, it's not like it was a guy that was on assignment in Africa and came back with Ebola. They're that literally... was the story they gave us. Oh, my. So, like, I, so the relief what do you do? That, like, what, I mean, do you... <laughs> initially, it's like, oh, and yeah. then I was just like, are you kidding me right now? You're like, oh, <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, we just involved dozens of people to make this happen did anybody was, know did like anybody know it was kind of no, like a, a blind test it was no it was, one in administration no one in critical care executive leadership no uh, one. i can't I mean, imagine the phone call that was made to that paper from your leadership well the paper wrote and I, i'm pretty sure i remember it being like you know we're ready yeah we're okay ready. so it was like they gave it a good spin the, but the still qualified you know, like, team at the medical university has you know done what needs to be done and you just hope that like in 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 the process of all that organized chaos that patients didn't suffer right from no, the destruction and, and, and that's good i guess but i know wow. but the work that goes into making sure that doesn't happen you're right yeah, is, is yeah. a wow it's a labor of love um and i'm yeah. sure i'm messing up pieces of that story no, that's okay um, that's fine but that's that's pretty much how it went down that's was life-changing moment yeah. everyone in place oops i'm just kidding and then wow. that was, I didn't have any more experiences like that. But. So no more, no bullet actually never really showed up. So I don't remember seeing or hearing about it in, in South Carolina. Atlanta was close enough to where we are, um, but right. wow, that's wow. So going back to the mental health side, is, is how, how much time did you spend on, on that overall? How much time? Like in, in, in yeah, because it was, you said it was outpatient? That was three years. Three years, So I had okay. a gap. Um, right before that, I had a gap where we had children. I stayed home and didn't work. Okay. Um, and so the babies were 20 months apart. 
and I wanted to cherish those years with them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I spent a few years at home, and then when I went back to, well, we didn't know when I was going to go back to work, uh, but we started watching the show called The Midwife on PBS, and man, it took me back. Um, Just the, the nurses, we say we can rule the world because the knowledge we possess and the things that we've seen and heard and been exposed to is unlike any other profession I can think of. Mm -hmm. And so I was watching these women in London changing the world. I mean, they're, they're, they're not only nursing people, they're figuring out that they've got a CO2 leak and they're protecting the apartment building and they're, you know, discovering the blah, blah, blah. But I told Jonathan after like the sixth or seventh show, Jonathan's my husband, I said, yeah, I've got to go back. I miss patients. I miss oh, taking care wow. of people. He said, okay, well, let's, let's pray about it. Let's talk about yeah, it. Yeah. And so I started thinking and the first person I called was dad. And I was like, dad, I think I'm ready to go back. And he was like, really? <laughs> um, because he also loved, um, he supported the fact that as a young mom, I wanted to be with my babies. He's like, so yeah. let's talk about this, what this would look like. And he said, because remember, you've never been like a 40 hour week nurse. I'm like, yeah meaning I've always been 50, 60 hours a week. Yeah. Give yeah. it my all. Um, and so he said, well, what, you know, do you think you want to go back to leadership? And I was like, no, because I would feel torn. Mm. You know, I'm not going to half-ass my team. Right. Sac- nor am I going to sacrifice my family. So he said, have you ever thought about patient? Um, and I said, no. And he said, well, consider it. It might be a good step back in the door. And so he said, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you, don't waste your time with primary care because you're my daughter and I know you. And that's his specialty, by the way. Right. He said, you're my daughter and I know you and you're going to be bored. He said, mm-hmm. you're, you're not going to be challenged. You're going to need something else. He said, so I want you to do psych. Interesting. Like, what? And he goes, yeah. because it's the most important medical field in the world. Mm. Because if we don't get psych right, we don't have mental health right nothing else matters and I was like oh wow it was like this had you moment had you had exposure to to psych prior to to this experience uh well that's the thing about mental health it affects everything they still have heart that's true yeah that's a good point but but that's never the primary focus in the hospital anything it's the afterthought and now that Mm -hmm. I've done psych for a few years I'm like oh man are we doing you see it everywhere don't you um, yeah. and so, but then when I look back, I was thinking, well, I was that nurse that always would take that patient, the one that was going through delirium tremens and withdrawal uh-huh. from substance abuse, the one that, um, was, uh, severe Alzheimer's and in the evening would just become extremely combative or inappropriate. Um, because that never bothered me. Like that's their problems. I'm here to make sure they're safe and they get the care they need and their families right. on, but there are some nurses that it would just rub the wrong way. Um, and like I said, some nurses have strengths and weaknesses, but so I thought, you know what, he's right. Um, and I interviewed and I'll never forget how lost I was in the interview because they were talking about all these things I had never heard of. So I felt like a new grad. (laughs) I was like, I'm sorry. Yeah, that sounds great. Oh, no problem. When I got that job, Doug, I had to go back to school. I'm talking textbooks, really wow homework my husband was like what are you doing (laughs) I've never given these medications in my life I've never given any psychotic injection what was that like to dive into something like that oh it's great you know yeah you you thrived on that it sounds like you yeah I well because in that stage of life 
I had gone for mom, which is the hardest job in the entire mm. world. Wow. Um, back from to what nursing. I've seen. <laughs> and, I, and I don't think, I don't think I would have enjoyed it as much as if I went back and knew what I was doing. I don't think yeah. I would have gotten the same appreciation or the feeling yeah. of accomplishment um, because I already knew that. So it'd be yeah. like going to bake a cake for the hundredth time, you know, mm -hmm. um, this was something new. It, it, it reminded me that I had a brain and it gave me a purpose. Um, so it was great. Yeah. In the field. And it's just, I asked some of a, a physician about this a few weeks back on another episode is, you know, with, with the, whether it's a rise in mental health cases or, or, uh, you know, patients, or are we better diagnosing it? Or is there the stigma been removed? So people are more comfortable coming and seeking care. Um, I have a multi-layered theory on that. Okay. I'd love to hear it. So it's one, we have access to too much information. <laughs> and what happens with that is things become inflated, mm. whether it's purposeful or not. The other piece of this is awareness exists like it didn't before. Um, so whereas if you think back to like Little House on the Prairie, that family only knew what that family knew. But now we know what every family's going. I mean, multiple families are right. going through in the world. Right. So the awareness is there. Um, there's an emphasis in the community and politics to de decrease the stigma. Um, mm -hmm. There are advancements in medicines that are coming out. We haven't seen that in psych in a long, 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 long time. So it's getting interest. Um, and I also think that as a country, we went through one of the most psychologically impacting pandemics. Right. Um, and from that, things surfaced. So I mean, well, we were slammed. And backing up before that, you don't have to go too far back where you had a major economic oh, crisis. Yeah. And then before that, you had 9-11. And it's like in this 20-year period, there's been a lot, of, a lot of crises that our American culture hasn't had to deal with, right? And I mean, so it's no, yeah. And it's no longer taboo. Sure. Um, you know, in mental yeah. health, like I said, it affects everyone. So it doesn't miss anyone. And we've mm -hmm. also gotten better with like co-occurring disorders, meaning um, addiction is a disease often right. underlying, you know, when that person becomes sober, what we discover is there's an untreated mental illness that they've been using substances to treat. Yeah. It's like, can we not get better at this? Like, Yeah. And, you, know, it's funny, it's, it. you see that no matter what city you go to, you see it in its most advanced form with a lot of the, the folks that are that are homeless, right? It, it, it's it's not that, well, that's a whole another issue and I'm by no means an expert, uh, I'm not pretending to be, but there are people you see on the street that are probably using a variety of substances, including fentanyl, which is the, the, the biggest scourge of our generation probably, right? But nobody ends up there because they want to. Mm-mm. It, it, it's there there's there's like you said there's addicts that are self-medicating an underlying issue and it just seems like a lot of this that we see in the public is a mental health crisis masquerading as a drug issue a gun issue whatever insert whatever surface level topic am i am i, am I correct there or am, 
that's just my you're assumption not, of what I see. Is that, am I off base or? It, it's complicated. And I think we're doing a better job of not sweeping things under the rug. Yeah. Um, because even back, you know, Vietnam, suck it up. R right. Uh, we realized that approach doesn't work. We have right. men that were never able to return to work that were right. not able to provide to their families. You know, that's not something you can suck it up. Right. So um, no one wakes up and says, I want to be an addict. No one. The fact of the matter is it's biological. So there are substances out there that when you ingest them in your body, your body craves them to the point that you literally, there are studies on mice where they, well, this is funny. They actually compared sugar and fentanyl. Okay. Sugar for days. <laughs> and that is so, the substance that they actually chose over the fentanyl, but that is how really? much addiction affects the body psychologically wow. so it's yes they introduced sugar these not fentanyl cocaine they were addicted cocaine. okay to yeah cocaine, yeah and they introduced sugar and they all went to the sugar wow and so it's in everything that we eat just about oh right? yeah yeah and that is the country's problem <laughs> now i had i had Refkith who who was i was listening to his interview where they were talking about um the difference in today's resources dedicated to mental health at a typical acute care facility compared to years ago, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, the number of beds that are available for the, the mentally ill on, on average, obviously. And it was, it was staggering that the, the, the reduction in available resources. And he said, this is why we're, we see people on the street. These people would have been cared for um, now, again, I, I know that some of those facilities probably weren't ideal and you wouldn't want to, you know, be anywhere near them. Um, but yeah, it just, it, 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 the, the, the resources allocation went to other things. I, I, do you think, are we seeing a swing back the other way? Is there, is, is I there think a trend? So. Well, and because what you, what you saw then in theory was a good idea, meaning people do better. Like let's provide the supports at home. Let's get right. our public benefits set up so that they don't require these facilities. Um, similar to, you know, severe mental illness is a disability. And so right. just like someone who is um, severely disabled physically, they require support and um, financial assistance and assistance all around. Well, that we figured out how to provide in the home. We still have not figured out how to meet the needs of mental health because mm. the funding isn't there but they mm -hmm. removed all of the facilities where they could be fed and clothed and sheltered yeah. safely on their So you lose on both ends. Before they, right. you know, created the infrastructure. So yeah. now I, mean, I can tell you it's the most uncomfortable position to be an on-call outpatient mental health nurse. It is not fun because mm -hmm. you're dealing with crises everywhere. 14-year-old on the bridge, only wearing underwear and a bra with a knife. Yeah. First of all, she's probably going to, well, I can't go down that road. There just isn't, how did we get there? Right. What the heck? Right. Um, and then right. when you bring them in and you get them stabilized and safe into the facility, we say bypass the ER because we've already called the emergency room. They don't have any beds. So now you're going to be in a holding unit. So it's, what do you do now? Right. So then you try and find a group home. Well, they don't exist. Right. Um, and so you're looking at this child on there. It was like six hours. And by the end of the day, we ended up having to go to the ER because there was nowhere else to go. 
What do you think if, if, if you were in a position to enact some changes, you know, say unlimited budget, no restrictions, what, what would you, what changes would you make to kind of steer this thing in the right direction? I would make receiving the benefits that people are entitled to seamless and so simple. Mm -hmm. I would have facilities set up that were come here, apply for your Medicaid today and specialists assigned to helping them fill out the paperwork. I have done that. It is mm -hmm. impossible. You can't, I do not understand the forms. I've tried to help my patients. They, and according to the form, they're eligible to $2,800 a month. You cannot get that money unless you have a PhD and have been doing this for 40 years. Yeah. The, you, you try and then walk over to the office. The office is closed because it's a random day, Confederate right. Memorial Day. I don't know. Right, right. So there's the red tape that you have to go through just to get food for your family is insane. Um, the movie or that Netflix show, The Maid, that came out. Mm -hmm. that is the closest thing to reality I've ever seen in my life. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. Check that out. Um, so she, yeah. That's, is, that's, that, is that process, is there anything else in medicine you've encountered like that? That where the process is just medicines. so. Yeah, you yeah. can't, you can't get medicines. Yeah. Um, insurance companies have this power over whether or not they're going to pay for them. Right. The physicians can't even prescribe what they want to because the insurance companies get to say whether or not they can. So we're at the mercy of people that didn't go to medical school mm -hmm. determining whether or not we get to take our medicine. And then we have to make the decision. Am I going to buy my pills this month or am I going to feed my kids? So, and then when you think <sighs> of homeless, if mm. you get evicted, you cannot, you cannot be eligible for Section 8 housing if you have an eviction on your um, record, it is nearly right. impossible to ever receive a home again unless you purchase one. And most of those purchases would have to be made with cash. Right. Okay, you're and gonna take impossible. someone who is right. struggling at the bottom of the bottom, Right. got evicted probably because their, their kid was sick, so they had to stay home from work, so they didn't get the paycheck, so they couldn't pay the rent because they chose to buy their kid Tylenol for the fever didn't kill them. And now they've been evicted. How are they gonna buy a house? And how are they gonna get a job that they can make the money yeah. to buy? It's, it's so broken. Yeah. So I will say Spartanburg County did the right thing when they um, introduced homeless court. Okay. Which is a place that you can go to help clean up your record uh, with uh, individuals like the judge and everyone else who is trained in that area. Um, because again, the healthcare disparities that exist because of social determinants of health, your transportation, your housing, your food, um, that it, it cripples our healthcare system. So it's it's a it's a cycle. Do you tonight is is the are the county authorities the ones that are really holding the power in in a lot of this these cases, or is it more state or both? You know, I have no. I, this is going to be. I'm going to be very vulnerable. I do not understand how politics work, <laughs> <laughs> and I need to know more. You and me when both. I'm older. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've got a friend that protected. Uh, some very well-known politicians at the highest level and uh, the stories he's told me from behind the scenes are yeah you don't want to I just know. have no I'm hopeful <laughs> that they're doing their job I just yeah. don't even know what their job is so I can't yeah yeah 
I, I'm failing in that arena, meaning I'm probably not talking to the people I need to talk to. And that's something I need to set as a personal goal, but I just don't know how it works. Well, unfortunately with the politics, I'll just, I'll just say this. And it, it, there's so many, those people are pulled in so many different directions. There's so many different powers that be that have their ear and, and, you know, through donations and things like that, that, you know, until you have a, a politician or a group of politicians who are personally affected by by something like this, like look at the opioid epidemic. You know, the the reason why that one of the reasons I can't say this, but one of the reasons why that got so much attention and rightfully so is there that affected everybody. That, that affected rich, poor, white, black, didn't matter, but it 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 affected people in the government and you know that that it had to statistically it had to <laughs> so right. yeah and if and if you're not personally affected by that it's you know probably easy to kind of think oh just to put in the put in the pile with all the other issues i'll I'll hopefully get to you know and, and uh anyway that's my opinion <laughs> nothing more than that um but, i agree uh, and i think yeah. you know if if we could make things accessible for those that need it so if you mm -hmm. are disabled if you are struggling if we could make it a priority to hold their hand, mm -hmm. you know, do what Jesus would do, show mm -hmm. them the way to do it, give them the resources, but don't then throw them out. We've got to follow up with them. We've got to ensure that that's working. We need to do yeah. a check and balances so yeah. that, you know, that, that may be a monthly thing. There's got to be a social worker assigned. So if we can invest on the front end, because the problem is the funding's not there and employees aren't getting paid enough to keep those jobs. I call it my volunteer job when I worked outpatient mental health. Sure. I, I make less money 12 years after being a nurse or 15 years after being a nurse than I did when I was a new grad. I mean, oh, wow. the, the that much the, disparity. it is wow. so bad. Wow. Um, so people just aren't going to do the work. But if we don't put the, it's like running a business. Yeah. If you don't yeah. buy the equipment. You can't produce the product to return sure. on the investment. So sure. invest in the, the structure. Right. And then it works itself out. Yeah. So well, and like you said, work. It, it affects it's the one area like your dad said it affects everything yes mental health it affects everything and, and, and if you don't think it affects you just wait and go through a, some sort of whether it's whether it's not a necessarily a chemical thing it, it could be some like trauma right i mean it, 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 lots oh, yeah. of things can trigger right can trigger can trigger these things that are maybe under 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 uh the surface um and uh yeah, well, he's a yeah. wise man, I'll tell you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, I I really appreciate. I know it's we're coming up on on a break here. Uh, you you got to jump. Um, we didn't even get to your current role, so uh, that's okay. If you got a couple seconds, feel free. Give us a quick quick overview. What are you what are, What are you doing now? Uh, what's your your le leadership role like? And and how long have you been in this current current position? So two years, and basically what I'm doing is um, overseeing case management, which is looking at those social determinants of health. And our population is the elderly with Medicaid. So we're talking um, poor and elder okay. uh, patient populations. So the vulnerable of the vulnerable. So these are people that, you know, our job is to make sure, do you have a doctor? Can you get to your doctor? Um, are you safe at home? It's 100 degrees outside. Do you have air conditioning? Because if not, you're mm -hmm. going to have heat stroke. Mm -hmm. um, are you ac could you access your medicines? Are you safe to take your own medicines? Um, are you incontinent? Can we give you supplies for that? So we're yeah. doing preventative medicine so that the elderly in our country 
can still live the American dream. So I'm really enjoying this line of work. Um, yeah. and nurses and That's the social exciting. workers I work with. Yeah. And it's, and it's a team approach, right? You have a it's team. A team. Of, that's yeah. Yeah. The idea is to kind of connect resources and collaborate and yeah. Yeah, exactly. Identify that's, their needs, help them yeah. overcome barriers and ensure they stay healthy. Yeah. So, um, and this group is fantastic. Well, good. That's I've great. Blessed with some great groups. That's awesome. Um, I'll have to have you back on again. I want to hear more about that. I'd love to, I'd love to learn more about, uh, the your experience in the elderly population and trends that you're seeing and and uh, you know I, and I feel like I say this in every episode you know we're we're our parents generation is the biggest that, that's ever been and they're all hitting peak retirement and uh, you know the golden years at the same time so it's going to be interesting the world I think will look very different in ten years than it does today, oh, yeah. for a number of reasons right uh, but uh, yeah I'd love to have you back on you've been a fantastic guest you've been so generous with your time and and um, Wow, what a story. It's well, thanks for letting inspiring. me hear. I mean, oh, let me gosh. speak. <laughs> I'm honored to have you on. This has been great. I feel like there are so many people like yourself that have just all amazing stories that you, you may not think it's that amazing and you probably take for granted, but to hear all the experience you've had and all the things you've done and just your your attitude of always trying to find ways to improve things and it's just inspired. It's inspiring. And I'm I I am uh, I know we had a lot of problems in our society and we got a lot of problems in 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 healthcare, but um it's people like yourself that give people like me hope as patients that, uh, Hey, it, it's, it's going to be okay. It, you know, we'll be, we'll be okay. We'll get through it. So we got um, you. Thank you. The nurses will you take care of you. That's right. <laughs> Y'all are true healthcare heroes in, in the true sense right. of the word. Thank you so much for joining us for part two of our conversation with Liza Lounsbury. And what a great interview. I was so, so lucky to have her on as a guest and of course, special thanks to Liza for, appearing on the program for being such a great guest. To learn more about Liza, the best place to follow her is actually on LinkedIn. So check out the show description for the link to her profile. To learn more about conversations with healthcare heroes, follow us on YouTube at Healthcare Heroes Show. Please direct all show inquiries to healthcareheroeshow at gmail.com.